Well, good morning, saints. This morning, we begin a new series rooted in the book of Proverbs. The subject of this uh, sermon series is wisdom. I think it's safe to say, I think it's a fair statement to say, that wisdom is tough to come by these days. As we look around us, how we need wisdom. To live by wisdom, to understand wisdom, to have wisdom, and then, of course, to walk in wisdom. So, to start off, just a little bit of uh, uh, trivia, if you will. We'll flash up the next slide. You might know there are five books in the Old Testament that are commonly referred to as the wisdom books, specifically speaking to wisdom. So, little little fill in the blank here. Uh, let's take our best shot at the first one. Starts with a J. All right. Um, the second one. All right, scholars. Um, number three, Proverbs. Number four, clearly I'm giving too many cues. And the fifth one is Song of Solomon. I'm going to beat you to it. Um, so conveniently placed in your Old Testament, kind of right around the middle. They're all obviously together. And they all speak to wisdom, but from different angles. Job, obviously, famously, speaks to that question, why? Suffering. And it is the fear of the Lord that answers that question at the end of the book. Psalms, of course, is rooted in praise. Proverbs has all these pithy wisdom or wise statements. Not doesn't really lend itself to preaching through that book verse by verse because it's kind of all over the place. Um, but uh, Ecclesiastes, of course, takes the flip side of wisdom, which is, look, the only thing that matters is the fear of the Lord. Because hardly anything in life is something you can put your foot on other than God himself. Um, so, wisdom. Wisdom is our theme. Let's begin by defining wisdom. And we'll begin with this. Uh, this is just a dictionary. This is from freedictionary.com. They all pretty much say the same thing. Wisdom is the ability or the result of the ability to think and act utilizing knowledge, experience, common sense. Again, some things we're lacking these days, I think a little bit. Understanding and insight. So watch what they're doing here. It's your thought process, but it's also your actions because you can't divorce the two, right? What you think, how you think your convictions will ultimately feed how you live your life. There's a combination of knowledge, experience, certainly life experience can help us grow in wisdom, hopefully, Common sense, understanding, and insight. That is, the ability to, to really understand the situation for what it is. So wisdom is not book knowledge. 
How many of us, don't raise your hands, how many of us know someone who is incredibly intelligent, perhaps in their field of study, be it science or finances or whatever, pulling down triple digit salaries, all these things, and yet make one stupid life decision after another? Wisdom is more than just knowledge that is stuffed up here. Wisdom is keen insight. It is the ability to not only form your convictions, but to live your life based on these convictions. Now, please note, this is from a secular source. As we travel through, we're going to develop this definition to a more specifically biblical definition. Because there is a difference, as we'll see beginning this morning. So an anchor verse for this entire series is found in Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He's the one who saw Jerusalem rampaged. He's the one who saw the Israelites taken off into exile. Why were they taken off into exile to Babylon? Well, because for centuries, they ignored and they dishonored God. The very simple covenant that God had with them, which is worship me, honor me in the most basic way, and I'll bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. Well, they ignored that completely. And so Jeremiah saw that, and the message that Jeremiah had for the Israelites is worth our attention. Jeremiah chapter 6. Thus says the Lord. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. Sorry, it is verse 16. So we'll start from the beginning. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads. You kind of had a fork in a road and look and ask for the ancient paths paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) So let's look at this verse because it's very, very instructive. It was designed, of course, originally for the Israelites who were at a cross in the road, right? At a fork in the road. I mean, it was a little bit too late for them. But Jeremiah's point is very simple. First of all, acknowledge the fact that you're in a fork in a road. You're going to go one way or the other. If I could simplify, you're going to go God's way or you're going to go your way or the other way. That decision that is perpetually before us. He says, observe what is before you and ask for the ancient paths. Now, this is hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came. So if it was ancient for them, it's really ancient for us. But there's a principle. God's truth does not change. And it does not evolve with the geniuses in every generation who think they've got the missing link that no one else has ever seen before. 
God's wisdom is sure, it is dependable, it is true, it has stood the test of time, and for crying out loud, it's from God. So, we should look for the truth that God has consistently put before us, but watch this. We don't just look at it and admire it and say, isn't that nice? And put a little Instagram post up just to kind of acknowledge it and go our own separate way. He says, where the good way is and walk in it. Align your life, your convictions, your directions to be completely aligned with God's truth, which does not change from generation to generation. It does not become amended when your latest Instagram influencer says, oh, look, we've got a whole new way to look at X, Y, or Z issue. But here's what you also need to know as well. Not everyone's going to do that. I mean, it's humorous, but it's sad. They said, last statement, they said, we will not do that. Nope, not for us. Well, enjoy your vacation in Babylon. That's basically, you know, the summary of that one. But I encourage you to take this verse and really ponder this verse because it speaks so well in general. So lots of introductions today because we've got a series before us. So here's today's key verse. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. Speaking of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Do you see what he says there? The gateway, the beginning, the beginning place of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Don't even think about calling yourself wise if the foundation of your life is not a fear of the Lord. We cannot get wisdom, we cannot grow in wisdom, we cannot walk in wisdom, we cannot live in wisdom if we do not fear the Lord. So it begs the question, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it's, it means what it says. Words you might want to consider as well are reverence. Do you reverence God, do you give him his rightful place in your life, in your thinking, in your convictions, and yes, in your ideologies? Do you give him rightful place? Is he the one with whom you are awestruck? Many of us are blown away by the wrong things or the wrong people. There is one and only one 
who should captivate us, who should elicit reverence. We respect lots of people. We honor people, but we reverence God alone for who he is. And the reverence of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God, those are concepts that today are not given enough attention. The reverence of God, I promise you, would just eliminate so much of the foolishness that we see today and in every generation before us. So what I'd like to do this morning is just kind of walk you through incidences in Scripture of what it means to reverence God. Or where the reverence of God came into full display to to people who were there because the person at hand actually didn't do that. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you and invite you to turn with me. But of course, I'll be reading these passages as we go. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament. To the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. The reason why I want you to see this in your own Bible is I really want you to see it in your Bible. I'm not making these things up. In Leviticus chapter 10, we're introduced to two characters by the name of Nadab and Abihu. They were the sons of Aaron. Remember Moses, they're setting up the Levitical system, and God had been very painstaking in saying, this is how you are to worship me. Very detailed as far as how worship looks like, what it means to honor me, what it means to bring sacrifices to me. So chapter 10, verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it And laid incense on it and offered strange or unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So these are the priests. These are the ones who were to who were approaching God himself on behalf of the people. And they were told exactly how they were to do this. And they essentially blew it off. They had a better idea. These two geniuses, they had a better idea. They were going to do it my way. So verse two and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Now these were key people. And they took their, like, they had one job. This is it. And they didn't take it seriously. Fire came out, you know, fire for fire in this case. Fire came out and consumed them. And it says they died in the presence of the Lord. Right before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, 
This is what the Lord has said among those who are near me. I will be sanctified, which means set apart, holy, other than you don't come to me as if I'm your buddy, your friend. That's not who I am. And before all the people, I will be glorified. You guys are the ones who are coming right before me to represent me to the people and vice versa. I will be sanctified. I will be set apart because I will be glorified before all the people. What does it say next? Aaron kept his peace. Aaron just lost his two sons. But Aaron knows what Moses said was money. So he kept his peace. This is the fear of the Lord. Reverencing him for who God actually is. Not your creation of him in your own mind. But who he really is. So let's progress in the Old Testament. Let's go to 2 Samuel. To your right. 2 Samuel. Chapter 6. This is David. The Israelites. The Ark of the Covenant. A very special piece of their worship. As you know. The presence of God. They were bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. David was celebrating, worshiping. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. And then there's a guy named Uzzah that we'll be introduced to. We'll pick it up in verse 5. The first five verses are lots of celebration and worship and bringing it back, and everybody's happy. Yay, everything's going great. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they had come to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen had stumbled. This is big celebration. The ark is on a the ark is on a cart. The ark the ark is coming in. The oxen pulling it had stumbled. It began to tip, and so Uzzah did what I'm assuming he thought was a good thing. He reached out to steady the ark because he didn't want the ark to fall to the ground. Verse seven. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down because of his error, and he died beside the ark of the Lord. Now, one thing has to be very clear. Uzzah knew never, you are not allowed to touch the ark. That was not news to him. But I think most of us would say, well, the alternative was it would fall to the dirt. 
But here's the thing. And we'll see in this passage, David protested that he was really upset about this. But there's something that has to remain a constant for each and every one of us, and that's this. God is holy. God is glorious. And there are times in Scripture that we have a glimpse of this reality. And it needs to calibrate us to bring us back to who we are. Because a lot of times we come with ideas we have about God, but they don't match up with what God has already said about himself. So here are two examples. And I'm just telling you, my heart goes out to him. My heart goes out to his family. I get it. In the moment, I'm sure he was just trying to do the right thing. But in that moment, he came right up against a bigger reality, which is the holiness and the glory of God. And it's an example. Keep turning to your right. The book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Perhaps a little bit more well known. So Isaiah was a good guy. Isaiah was sent to the Israelites primarily. He actually had a few words for all the people around Israel too. But Isaiah was sent to bring people to repentance, to bring them back to the Lord because they were wandering, which is kind of the story of Israel in the Old Testament. You got to keep in mind, Isaiah is a good one. Isaiah would suffer greatly for his faith and for his testimony. Isaiah ultimately, we are told, was sawed in half for his, ultimately for his testimony. We'll pick it up in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another. So, God, so Isaiah has this image now, this vision of God. And there's angels attending him. And they called out to one another. If you want to see what is the inner sanctum of God, of his presence, this is it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what he saw. God is other than. He is separate from. He is sanctified. Because he and only he is God and we are not. Thrice holy. The acknowledgement of God's glory. His moral perfection. His power. His beauty. Who he is. And the foundations of the thresholds, verse 4, shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And, this is Isaiah, and I said, woe is me. I am undone, or I'm lost. 
I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Remember, I said Isaiah was a good guy. He spent his life trying to speak sense into the people around him. But when Isaiah had that clear vision of who God is, he immediately, immediately saw his own shortcomings. He immediately saw his own sin and it was abrupt. Woe is me. And he quickly identified himself with the sinful people that he was sent to call to repentance. Because that's what happens when we see God for who he is. You say, that's nice. That's the Old Testament. Great. We're going to the New Testament. Book of Acts. Acts is right after the Gospels in the New Testament. We're introduced to a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. This is Acts chapter 5. This is kind of early on in the history of the church. Things were getting started. The gospel is taking root. Praise the Lord for that. The apostles, chapter 4, are now beginning to get kickback from the religious authorities. There's persecution that's starting with them. But there's a very interesting little uh, commentary that happens in the midst of all of this. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what happened here? What was supposed to go specifically to the church, to the apostles, along with his wife, they decided, yeah, we're going to You know, that little boat that we've always wanted, right? So we're going to put that part in our back pocket. Shh. Nobody will know. It's okay. We got this. Right? We'll just slip it aside. And then down the road, no one will put two and two together. We'll buy whatever. Our boat, whatever. Verse 3. Catch is, they're dealing with anointed apostles of God. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, oh, he puts his finger right on it. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of this land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? But all things are laid open before God who sees all things. And nice to meet you. We're we're his front men right now. You have not lied to man, but to God. The people that you lied to, of course you lied to them. But you lied to God. When Ananias, verse 5, heard these words, he fell down. And he breathed his last. 
Notice the next, sec- the next statement. And great fear came upon all who heard it. You know why? Because they just realized that very well could have been me. That could have been me right there. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. So she was not privy to any of this. She came in a few hours later. Right? She's just striding in, you know, like everything's great. Look at us. We made this big, this big donation. I mean, we're amazing. Verse 8, Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Never a good choice. To test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the front door and they will carry you out as well. These aren't like the top 10 passages that you find on inspirational, you know, at the Christian bookstore to put up on your bathroom wall, right? But we, we, we need to pay attention to them. Immediately, verse 10, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now watch this, verse 11. And great... Fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. That is the natural result of when we see clearly who God is. It, it, it just burns right through all of our foolishness. It burns right through it. Because we see it with our own eyes. And, you, and, and it's palpable. You can, you can feel it. But watch what it says. It says that fear fell upon the church. These are believers in Christ. These are Christ followers. They were jolted. They had that sense of deep fear. And friends, we need that ourselves as well. We need to be, what's the word? Um, ac- um, boy. Calibrated, right? We need to be calibrated from time to time because we can just get so comfortable with the way that things are. And from time to time, God will bring things along that show us that's not okay. You ignoring me, you pretending that I'm not there, Nadab and Abihu just bringing about your business, you know, uh, as priests of the Lord and just bringing it however you want. No. Thank God. It is most often his grace that prevails. But I want you to look at one more since you're in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. So the question I would ask is when you form your opinions, when you form your theology, when you form your convictions, when you form your ideologies. I mean, we live in the generation where we... We have to have a hot take on every single social issue that is out there. Ask yourself this question. The people who are influencing you, the people who are influencers, do you see the fear of the Lord in them? If not, I would submit to you it's time to just kind of move on to something better. But I want to put some of this into perspective. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 31. I love these little commentaries about the church in its infancy. So the church, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Had peace. And it was being built up. Why? Watch. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That right there is a healthy church. The church was doing two things. It was concurrently walking in the fear of the Lord. What that means, that's a Jewish way of rendering it, is they were living their lifestyle, their choices, their priorities, their decisions. It was all in the fear of the Lord. They were reverencing God for who he is. But, so that we don't have a morbid misunderstanding of the fear of the Lord, look at what he says accompanied the fear of the Lord. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are at our healthiest. We are in the best place when we reverence God for who he is. Because God will always, without exception, in that place, comfort us. So we can walk and live for him all to the glory of God. So we need to land the plane here. Uh, I'll take you to one more verse, if you will. Just keep on turning to your right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot even think about wisdom if you are not walking in the fear of the Lord. Speaking of wisdom, I would simply like you to see this. Verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1. And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. That's the gospel, right? That's justification, sanctification, and glorification. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christ is the highest, the purest, the most beautiful expression of the wisdom of God ever because he is Christ. We're going to end it there uh, for today. We'll pick it up next week, but I have a few questions by way of application. Speaking or thinking of the fear of the Lord, is there anything or anyone that has taken God's place in the throne of your heart or your thinking? There is one who belongs on the throne. And that's the Lord. So a good question for us is, have we allowed other, other people, other things to take that place? Does your life disposition, 
Your activities, your attitudes, your priorities reflect the fact that you reverence God above everything and everyone else. Do your underlying ideologies or theology or whatever, whatever belief systems that you rest upon, do they rest upon this great thesis? And we'll pull up this slide. Psalm 111, verse 10. Evgeny read it earlier, and we'll close with this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. It's only his praise that will endure into eternity. Not ours, not anyone else's, not anything else's. So let's have that right disposition towards God. Let's, uh, Let's pray together. I invite you, as always, to just a a moment of quiet reflection. The fear of the Lord is a very weighty subject. It is one that we could spend a lot of time on. It is the foundation for this discussion that we'll be having on wisdom. The reverence of God. My fellow believer... It is so easy to be sidetracked. It is so easy to be almost numbed to reality with things that are going on. We become busy. We, we be, fall into bad teaching, so on and so forth. I just have this one question for you. Is the Lord the one that you reverence? And does it show in your thoughts, in your attitudes, and most importantly, your priorities and in your actions? If we need to adjust that, now is a great time to begin doing just that. Thank the Lord for the grace of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ died for sinners. Why did Christ die? Christ died not just because we are sinners, but because God is holy. It was his own son on a bloody mess on the cross because sin will not go unpunished. Praise the Lord, it was punished at the cross. If you have never put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your grace towards us. Oh Lord, we know that there are many times that we need to make mid-course corrections. We thank you that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will never let us go. But oh Lord, we're human. Help us to see you for who you are. Because we know That when we see you as Isaiah saw you, when we see the glory of God, and when we align ourselves alongside your glory, your renown, your name, that is the best and the most healthy place for us, for our kids, for everyone. May it be true of us that we walk in the fear of the Lord and the wonderful comfort of the Holy Spirit that always accompanies the fear of the Lord. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.